0: This is Brandy Kins, and welcome to another episode of the Terrific Talk Podcast. This is episode 5. In this episode, I speak with William Robert Webb III, who talks with me about horror, his favorite horror games and films, along with his book, Simply Weird, and the horror films that he's been involved in, namely PMS Cop and House of Demons. This was a live interview recorded on twitch.tv slash BrandyKids, and there are a few issues, audio issues in the podcast that I just want you to be aware of. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Hello everybody out there, and welcome to another exciting, fabulous episode of Terrorific Talk. And we have another awesome episode for you this afternoon because I am interviewing the lovely gentleman to my right here, William Robert Webb III, Rob to his friends and acquaintances, and hello, I'm really excited to have you on here today. How are you?
1: I'm, I'm doing good. I'm really excited to, to be on here. Um, this is uh, good. <laughs> it's just good.
0: I'm really excited to have you on here. Side note for people who yeah. don't know – uh we kind of know each other in real life as you call it because we met last year at a screening at the alamo draft house of the thing (laughs)
1: Mm -hmm. (laughs) whenever the alamo draft
0: house was showing us halloween movies he just ended up right next to me just in the seat right next to me yeah got to talking
1: (laughs) yeah i just you know it's kind of sometimes what i do and i have been called rob a p on some of the film sets and stuff and so i think i just was talking about stuff and then, um, afterwards, I met you, your mom, and your sister, and I just was, I just kind of, you know, for for someone who, until my adult life was an introvert, I I pretty much talk quite a bit, a lot. It's, you know, about like knowledge and stuff that I know, because I think that's because. Um, you know i've learning i've i've had to deal with learning disabilities my life you know entire life so sometimes i don't know yeah so but yeah it was, it was it's 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 been great having a back and forth with you
0: yeah absolutely it's so great to meet another fellow horror enthusiast because at times you know i don't have a lot of people that in my life that i could just sit down and discuss horror with so Whenever I finally get somebody, I'm just like, oh, I'm so excited. This is so I'm pumped. So once again, thank you for taking time out of your day to sit down, and talk some horror with me. I appreciate it.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm really like psyched into do- into doing this. Awesome. I know, I like I I know it might not seem that way. It's like like. Dude. Yeah. What's up? <laughs> yeah, I'm like too I'm too laid back on this. I don't know.
0: Yeah, it's like I'm laying in my bed, I got my microphone. It's like I'm yeah. good to go. <laughs> ah.
1: Yeah, when I when I start answering questions and stuff, I'm probably going to be way more animated. That's probably when I get, you know.
0: All right. So, let's just go ahead and just jump right into it and get started. So, I always start off every episode of my podcast with the question why, and let's get more specific here, why horror, why the scary, why the creepy, why the weird, what is it about it that makes you love it so much?
1: Well, the thing about horror that, you know, it took me a while, I, um, as a kid, was uh, pretty much a scary cat, and it took me like a really long time to actually get into um, horror, particularly horror films, um, it's kind of odd, though, because, of course, Ghostbusters and Ghostbusters 2 were, like, two of my favorite movies, but I didn't consider them horror films, per se. I saw them as science fiction comedies in the in the same way that I saw Honey, I Shrunk the Kids or the Back to the Future trilogy as a uh, sci-fi comedy. Um, and... Even though, it's sort of, my my little gateway into into horror was the weirdness of uh, Tim Burton uh, when I was growing up, and even then, there was films he was associated with either as a producer as a director. I didn't I was afraid to see until I was a teenager. For instance, I had, like Nightmare Before Christmas and Edward Scissorhands. Like both scared me immensely. Just seeing um, Jack Skellington freaked me out until I was like. Thirteen or fourteen, which is a weird thing, and now I'm completely op- opposite. Whereas, like I've seen, you know, I I like *Cannibal Holocaust*. You know, I've <laughs> gone <gotten> the complete <laughs> opposite kind of way in that one. <laughs> and um, but what I, but really what's drawn me to horror, particularly as a creative individual, is there. It's one of the two uh, genres besides comedy where you base basically can do anything and you don't have to explain it. You know, like in comedy, you can have something like Monty Python where, okay, two people are slapping a fish. Well, is that funny? Okay, you can do that. Um, In uh, horror, you can have, you know, I'm going to, well, I guess if this is a big spoiler or not for like Get Out, but like the whole... Thing of the of you know the the what was that the soul in place or whatever. There's like really no scientific or fantastical explanation for it. It just it, you know someone gets hypnotized in a way that you know doesn't necessarily associate with reality. Um, it's it, that kind of freedom is just invigorating as a creative person um, because you know I'm I'm huge into like people like David Lynch, and I still like Tim Burton despite, you know, what's his career has been like post Sleepy Hollow. bait. well, I wouldn't say post Sleepy Hollow. It's just maybe post uh, Big Fish because Big Fish was also still really good. He's had a couple of good ones after that, but that that first like s- that run from Pee Wee's Big Adventure to Big Fish with maybe the uh, even. I even like his Planet of the Apes to a degree, but only in an ironic way. But like, I think everything else besides that one, from Big Fish up, Big Fish to from Peep's Big Adventure. Um, and of course, I discovered more and more of his stuff. And then I just got into into horror um, as a teenager. And then I also just had a true crime. I also have a fascination with true crime. So I'm I'm on these two different teetering points when it comes to horror, which is the sort of, you know, fantastical, uh, mysterious, unexplainable thing, uh, like I was talking about, that was, you know, in Get Out, in some of the, because some of the science in there didn't need to be logical. It just was using metaphor. And then, for instance, there's a bunch of, in the original uh, film, because I, I haven't seen the remake, which I don't. I'm not sure if it's this week or next week it comes out of Suspiria, and um, which I'm gonna mention because I have the new 4K mastered Blu-ray, Ooh. and it is in that. Yeah, it is in that. Yeah, from a 4K master that then is you know downgraded to uh, 1080p because it's not a it's not a um, HDR Uh, blu-ray um but i don't even have a hdr television so um but suspiria has all this just weird crazy stuff in it that and yet a mass audience can go and see that a mass audience isn't going to go see eraserhead uh, which is david lynch's first film or um any of his more weirder out there kind of things. And what I like about horror is you can do these just insane sort of things without uh, too much explanation. Um, and and it's, it's, it's one of those two genres, like I said, and, you, and in humor you can do that in sort of the Monty Python mo- mold of just something happens, you know? And you take it, and, and with horror it's like, as long as it's scary, and it scares yeah. an audience. They can let so much, so much logic. It can have its own dream logic. If that, if you know, I'm, I, I, I'm, I may be just coming off as way too intellectual here. And you know, I, I, but you know, I, I love genre films, and I love artsy-fartsy stuff too, and I love the idea of melding the two um which i've you know of the stuff i've actually directed i've directed three shorts that i've uh, played at the moxie two of the three are flat out artsy fartsy stuff uh that don't really have a plot but aren't meant to be scary and then this uh the one i did in the in between uh, i should probably send you a link to because i think you'd like it which is uh my tribute to uh uh, evil dead which is a good thing to bring up well the evil dead trilogy because i'm I'm a huge sam raimi fan and as someone born in michigan sam and bruce are a big freaking deal a huge freaking deal since you know of my uncle not at the same time but my uncle went to the um university that sam raimi dropped out of to make evil dead (laughs) uh so yeah so like evil dead and it wasn't until years after i'd been a huge fan of the of the films i think it was around the time you know i mean i was so huge And, and that was another thing that really got me into horror because it felt for whatever reason even though it was gory and crazy and all that it felt safe in the same way that when I was getting into the Tim Burton films, I had been afraid of earlier. It's like, there were the films that I loved. Cause like, like I grew up loving Mars attacks. If I could see it as another genre than horror, but like even his Batman, you know, Tim Burton's movies have elements of horror to them. I mean, at the very least influences from German expressionist horror, you know, you've got Nosferatu and, um, the cabinet, Doctor Caligari, in there, and of course Metropolis is in there too, which is not a horror film, but is in German expressionism. Um, and even Jack Nicholson's uh, Joker almost feels like so much a character of the times, and in, in that sort of cocky, like he's he's almost like a Freddy Krueger or Chucky kind of character, where he's you know you know he is scary. And I, I still don't get this generation that doesn't think of Jack Nicholson's Joker as scary. You can be that's like saying, well, and Frank Kruger can't be scary. He is scary, but he makes the wise cracks. And he's, you know, over the top and yet at the same time deadly dangerous. And um I I really I I really liked Heath Ledger's Joker. And I even liked Jared Leto's Joker, but I won't get into debating that um I although person. i felt jared leto's joke was is is almost a little bit closer to what nicholson was doing in that same way and that's probably why i like it is it reminds me it feels like an updated version like if you crossed um nicholson's joker with like a cholo kind of guy that's <laughs> you that you'd get jared Leto you'd get jared leto's joker um but, uh, but yeah, so man, I'm getting so far off the topic on the question. But like I told you, like once I get started, this is, you know, this stuff pours out. But, um, yeah, I was always a Freddy Cat and now I'm really into the, you know, the, the two elements of horror I really like are the gore. Like, but I also like stuff that isn't, you know, I, I like the cerebral stuff. Cause like I said, I am a huge, oh, now I know why I was mentioning Sam Raimi was because my second, short film i did masks well masks was like my big tribute to hp lovecraft the evil dead trilogy um daria argento as much as i could get away with because at ot i was using otc cameras and they basically said you had to make stuff pg so there's no blood in it but i got as much like sort of little shocking little things stylistically from uh, Argento's work. I was trying. I was messing with color. I don't know if I necessarily achieved it right, but that was also because I didn't have lights. I did all natural lighting, and then I, I, I just would mess with the um, colors using post production instead. Whereas Argento, when he would do the amazing uh, color palette stuff, like in Suspiria, uh, he started doing it in deep red. It's interesting because he did not. He had a much more naturalistic lighting style in his first three films when he was a giallo filmmaker. Um, see, this is why people call me Robopedia. <laughs> <laughs> and in and I and in those films were much more stylistically inspired by uh, Hitchcock. Um, and then he's Deep Red, which was one of his last ones. Bef- it was his last one before Suspiria, and actually uh, had no supernatural elements in it. It kind of hinted at. But it ended up not having any supernatural elements. And then Suspiria, full-blown supernatural thing of a story made up by his then uh, longtime partner, uh, Daria Nicoletti, who is uh, Asia's uh, mother. I'm, I won't get into that because that's been – because of the crazy – <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't want to talk about it. But um, Daria Nicoletti uh, – was with Dario for a long time, for about over a decade. And she even was in his films after they had broken up. Um, and she helped write Suspiria. And she came up with this story that she later, like it took decades upon decades of her finally admitting it. And she said, yeah, it's BS. But she used to claim that her grandmother would tell her about this, uh, who was a ballerina went to this ballerina school and it was like it was run by witches and uh she would say that that was the real thing she goes like no i i'd made it up and but i had told dario that this was a true story that my grandmother had told me
0: oh wow
1: <laughs> yeah and but what's even though there's magic and there's witches and stuff in suspiria there's all this stuff that you know doesn't make sense logically from a it's a, it's dream logic i guess going to that term and that is also very prevalent in the Italian uh, horror filmmakers uh, even though uh, like Lucio Fulci even though he's very much well known for mostly I mean he's known as one of the two grand, uh, godfathers of Gore along with Hersch- the late I, it's really sad I, I how I found out Herschel Gordon Lewis had passed away because I'm, I'm I'm actually a fan of his even though his stuff's pretty much schlock his, but he at least knew he, his stuff was schlock and, uh, some of them can be pretty fun. I think 2000 maniacs, if he had kept making films like 2000 maniacs where he was intentionally trying to be humorous, I think he would, or he would have made more good movies, but I don't think he necessarily cared if he made good movies. I think he cared if he made a profit, but he was, you know, he was even, he had come out of retirement and was making movies in his eighties. And he had just, uh, passed away earlier this year. I sadly found out when I saw a interview that, um, Joe Bob Briggs did uh, with uh, James Rolfe, the angry video game nerd, and that—that that was how I learned about that. Um, but yeah, I'm jumping all over the place. So let me get back to masks. So that was my second uh, short film, and um, so I haven't—I've only done—I've only directed shorts, but of course, I've worked on many features in other areas and stuff. And um, I just, just sort of wrap up the whole question why horror well like i said it's um the fant. you know on one side it's the fantastical and on the other side you can just do these weird screwed up taboos get can be shattered and 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 i i like transgression outside of horror i'm a fan of people like william s burroughs for instance which you know makes so much sense that it'd be a guy like david cronenberg who'd want to make uh, turn naked lunch into a movie. Um, you know, and, and that his, you know, so my influences come from within and without, you know, I, I'm a trauma fan. And yet at the same time I can sit down and watch, um, Stan bracket's stuff, Stan's I did a tribute film of Stan Brackage's films and they mostly pretty are just short films that have no – most of the time no plot and have no audio and sometimes they're just paintings on film. And I just I, – for some reason that – and it, I actually got tr- introduced to his stuff through uh, uh, Lloyd Kaufman, the president of uh, Troma, not, not personally but in a commentary track. He mentions uh, Stan Brackage because Brackage actually was an influence on him. And uh, he actually got to interview him while at university. Uh, he had, Lloyd had a radio show that where he got to interview people, sort of like, like this. Um, and uh, he he got to ask him, and this was back in the 60s. And besides that, Stan Brackage was the teacher of. Uh, Matt and Trey, the South Park guys. Oh. And they did a, they're, and they gave him a cameo in the very first thing they ever uh, did on a bud, which, you know, cause they did, uh, cause Trey did two shorts, short animated uh, films at college. One, which was the, uh, the proto South Park thing that, and then another one was like a history uh thing where he had his japanese roommate that that one's harder to find the the proto south park one where uh, frosty eats everybody that one people can find the the second one is like his japanese roommate who doesn't know anything about american history is just saying stuff and then it's in that same cardboard style it's just animated and it's like he just gets everything wrong about american history and i've only seen clips of it i haven't found the whole thing but the first real big thing they did was they shot on 16-millimeter, a feature-length film based on a uh, fake trailer they did for a film class, and that was called um, originally Alfred Packer the Musical, which when it got picked up by trauma became a uh, musical. And Uh, Stan Brakhage has a line in Campbell the musical and through all of that I got into this very artsy guy's work who um, is considered one of the front uh, grandfathers or godfathers of of avant-garde cinema is basically Stan Brakhage and Kenneth Anger and I like Kenneth Anger's stuff too and it's like I can watch some of not all, but I can see some. Watch some of Andy Warhol's films, which are very, very abstract and out there. I can like that stuff, and then I can like trauma, and then I can like some of the trashiest, you know, sort of grindhousey kind of stuff, and then I can just, you know, more mainstream horror, more mainstream comedy. Um, me actually getting into film, if I'm gonna be specific on that, uh, was because of Kevin Smith. I saw Dogma, and um, that film changed my life. Um, but uh, why horror? Again, I'm gonna like cut it off at here, so you can ask another question, because I went into so many different avenues, and a lot of that is probably my ADHD. Uh, but the yeah, it's 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 breaking taboos, and and being graphic—that's that's something that kind of came later. But just the idea that visually something can just be, you know, or you can have an event in a story, whether it's written or, you know, because I've worked in so many different mediums, that you know, in a fantasy story you have to, even if there's magic, you have to totally explain it. In a science fiction story, you have to. At least come up with a reason for the science in horror. You, you really don't, you can do that, but not all the time. And that's, and I love that. And you can do some of these weird, artsy kind of things. And as long as it's scary, <laughs> an audience, you know, as long as you don't like have a, as long as the like, cricks don't fawn over it too much, because I know that there's, there sometimes ends up being backlash that people just look at oh this is because it critics see it as an art house kind of thing that can sometimes backfire and while i haven't seen the movie i know i've seen that happen to say her heredity where people basically said you know this isn't a real horror film this is just an art house film put up whereas the guy oh. the guy who directed it was like no i i'm Literally want to make a horror film, although I lied to the company and said, no, this is an art house film, you know. Um, yeah, so that's a weird other tangent. But let's get to an- another question, because I know probably you got more questions than
0: about some of your inspirations like for your work you say like H.P. Uh, Lovecraft David Lynch and who would you say is your biggest inspiration to you creatively
1: well that's really hard to like say like at least from a filmmaking standpoint I always had this uh, four living filmmakers and three dead filmmakers uh, that influenced me the most the living it's um, Guillermo del Toro del Toro actually it, it took me seeing the shape of water where I was like okay I, I'm putting him on the list because originally it's three living and three dead and so now it's Guillermo del Toro so that's that's why I mentioned him first is because he's the new addition and then David Lynch obviously uh, Tim Burton obviously and then someone who I have not mentioned and I have a something signed by him, and that is Terry Gilliam, former Python. And I have my copy of this is my copy of Tideland. I have the Region Two of because they screwed up the aspect ratio when they released the DVD in the United States. I me- mentioned that in my letter, and I, and if it says you know it says two for Rob, Terry Gilliam. I'm reading your book slowly, because I sent him a copy of this, which, if I'm going to talk about influences outside of film, is heavily influenced by uh, Kurt Vonnegut, the writings of Steve Aylett, and uh, The Amazing Adventures of Caval- Cavalier and Clay by Michael Shabon. Um, so I'm, now, but yeah, four living filmmakers, Del Toro, Burton, Lynch, uh, and Gilliam. Of those not living, uh, it's Sergio Leone, Sam Peckinpah, and Akira Kurosawa. Um, I particularly – I think with Kurosawa just because Ran was such an important like film to see when I was a teenager – I'm still examining that film to this day. I just love its use of color, and um, it actually, curosawas films actually got me interested in Shakespeare because he would, because of his adaptations, and um, and I saw those before I had to really get into Shakespeare in high school, and um, so, and the, and those are some of my favorites of his films because. I think only did I think only Ron and Throne of Blood are really, but they're both great. Um, and of course, Throne of Blood is of my favorite Shakespeare play, which is the Scottish play. Being a little superstitious there, uh, which also I think has had the the most amount of best, at, like the like the three amazing adaptations you have: Orson Welles' uh, 1940s version which actually has Scotch accents and is shot in this German expressionist black and white look. Then you have Throne of Blood, 1950s, uh, which is uh, Kurosawa taking it into uh, ancient Japan. And then, uh, and let me tell you, I think he's a reprehensible human being, but I do like his work. Uh, But roman polanski's version from the 70s which is also by far the most violent version and is almost a horror film which makes sense because he he came out of doing horror films originally um and then didn't make a horror you know because after the tenant he didn't make a horror film until the ninth gate with johnny depp oh
0: yes i've seen that
1: one yeah it's pretty good um but yeah, I like I said, I especially I don't want to dwell too much on him because yeah, he's a completely reprehensible human being. So yeah.
0: But yeah, it's just like you can think but, someone is ew, but then still appreciate their work.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just like what they found out recently about. Although I'm not a fan of Man of War, like I I know what the, the um fans of man of war going through because of you know their what happened with the arrest of their guitarist and that's just yeah yeah i know but um as as yeah yeah i'll just like uh but yeah i have a bunch of other influences that i you know i have way too many i (laughs) yeah to, to to try and get steer back onto the question away from some, you know, uh, really dark, dark subject stuff. Um, you know, I, even music has influenced me. Like I, I carry King of Slayer <laughs> as an influence, at least influencing like my literature, you know, uh, there's like a whole blurb on my website that inf- cites a bunch of my influences and even you know comic book writers influence me a lot like i i put in you know F- frank miller gail simone neil gaiman although i guess neil you can probably say he's everything because he's written he's written movies he's written books he's written com- comics he's not just a comics guy um so uh barry gifford i like a lot he he doesn't do horror he does mostly he does crime fiction and he's from uh he's actually from Missouri and he's a really cool cat um who writes some very interesting stuff he writes the Sailor and Lula novels which the first of which uh is Wild at Heart was adapted by David Lynch and that's how I became a fan of his um, I, lo- I love that book and I love that movie. It's I, I think one of Lynch's more underrated films. And if you like more of the sort of violent, blood and gut side of things, um, albeit in a, a more crime-driven kind of movie, um, check out Wild at Heart. It's pretty good. And it's it's a, even though it has some of Lynch's weirdness in it, it's a little bit more straight, a little bit more straight story than um, something like. Sir uh, or, Head or Lost Highway, or Mahal Driver, or even some of the stuff in Twin Peaks, as that's gets really weird. Um, that it does. Yeah, yeah. So I, I just like you know the weird stuff a lot of times, and then I think I've yeah I've already cited William S. Burroughs, who who's he did and he did some bad stuff too. I mean, he asked you know he. Killed, accidentally killed his wife you know and then became famous you know the whole weird thing where she put a glass on her head and stuff and said yeah let's do the William Tell trick and you're like you know and they were just completely blasted out of their minds and then it was after that um, his sort of like weird you know cause, he, cause it happened in Mexico and he had enough money to just get out of going to prison and, uh, but he was in a real big funk and, uh, he identified himself as gay at the, at that time. He would probably be called bisexual today. All. And after her death, he only was with young men. Um, but he was in this really funk and that's what led to the writing naked lunch. So it's a weird thing. Because he, um, he had written two novels before, but had that event not happened, he, he – yeah, just – it's a really weird situation. And I don't know why I'm talking yeah. about William S-, William S. or Burroughs on a horror podcast. <laughs>
0: I mean, hey, it's just, like, things like that horror, it could take, like, the strangest tangent into, like, other genres and other authors and places that you wouldn't even think of. It's a multi nuanced genre that you can't really, as you mentioned earlier, you can't just pin it down to one point or one aspect of anything.
1: Which is what I like about
0: it. Yeah. Yeah, I love it, too. Like, you got your... Like you say, you got your gore, you got your blood and guts, but then you also got the psychological aspect of it that makes you think and it terrifies you in that way. And then you got the jumps the overuse of jump scares, which I will not talk about because I hate it when horror movies do that. But kind of speaking of and transitioning into horror films You have been involved in several horror films yourself, whether you've been acting in them, whether it's been behind the scenes. So talk a little bit about um, your experiences in those uh, films and what you did in them.
1: Well, I uh, worked on uh, well, how I transitioned into that Uh, because, yeah, I was um, really wanting to work on a feature I'd done Uh, work as a producer by just like giving people checks to, you know, basically patronizing people. Wait, am I using that right? now? Well, you know, being a patron patron. to various different people so that they, so that, you know, and uh, to get their documentaries finished on subjects I really cared about. And I really wanted to work on something physical. And I also was, I think, getting close to one of the last semesters at um, where I was at OTC. I was at OTC, for those who don't know, that's Ozarks Technical Community College. Uh, It was a two-year trade technical school where I um, got an Associate of Arts degree in electronic media production, which is a fancy way of basically saying – TV, radio, and digital filmmakings, Um And I was there for six and a half years, originally going there to just get a transfer degree, go to Missouri State University, and then try and get a creative writing, get both creative writing degree and a degree, getting two bachelors, one in creative writing and one in uh, film. And instead, I just was like, there's no way I'm so... <laughs> I, I went and and got the EMP one because I it, it just ended up getting the transfer degree. That wouldn't have been anything. So I was still in school and I wanted to work on something. And so I was just looking on Craigslist, and I found this thing called PMS cop. And I was like, okay, this sounds kind of like a trauma thing, you know, trauma style thing. And I look up on the website, and I'm seeing, like, on-set photos of what they had shot so far. And I was like, I got to work on this thing. I need to work on this thing. I'll do whatever. Like, I emailed and uh, the director, Brian Blakey, and I said, I got to work on this. I got to do something, you know, whatever. And he's like, yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> and he accepted my Facebook you know, friend request, and that, that was how I got really in touch with him and stuff. And about close to a month went by, and some of the production kind of slowed down, too. Um, and he was looking for someone, but um, when I had started contacting him was the stupidest time to do it because the schedule for the, the film was up on the website, and there... Is a there's a, a shower scene that was filmed and it's in the beginning of the film and that's what was scheduled when I started contacting him. So he didn't think I was serious. He thought I was just some guy who, you know, was like, that wasn't it, obviously. And we, I just kind of kept being in sort of social ways, kind of trying to keep in contact with him and being, you know, us having an a. a, a Mutual interest in the Ramones and this and that, and I think it was like what really broke through was like me just being like, "Yeah, I love Blue Velvet." Um, bringing David Lynch again in here, which is interesting. You know, Brian's really likes David Lynch's stuff. But he also likes really gritty crime stuff. Like I know Michael Mann's a huge influence on him. You know, he loves Manhunter and Thief and Heat. Like and Portions of PMS cop, you can actually see El- El- the, the actual cop stuff in there. You can see the influence of that. In- um, and anyway, so he eventually was like, okay, we're going to do a test. I like, go, okay. <laughs> what, was te- what was this test? was this test? basically, you know, because he eventually saw my YouTube page that had all my, my projects from my EMP classes. He's like, okay, this guy is legit. This guy is not – a creep, um, and I like his framing, uh, his shots. So he said, what we're going to do is we are going to film out. We're going to take the seat out of the back of a car. We're going to set up the tripod, because it's a special tripod that you can just put into these really weird angles and stuff. And we're going to put the camera there, and you're going to be shooting out of the window. And what we're going to try and do is – because if we have it dark enough to where you can't tell whose houses it is, but you can see enough of it. He was, like, thinking of using it for, like, the opening credits. And um, so we, we, we would do these passes. And so you'd have me with this – just standing up in the back of this car with a camera um, and just say, okay, you know, and him driving with his assistant director in the passenger seat and it connected to a computer so that they could see what was coming through the camera and stuff. And it was just to kind of see if I could, you know, be competent enough. And then as we were about to we did a couple of trial runs is as we were about to do the real thing, he noticed a car was, um, following us. And, um, he then slowed down and this old man came up to us and he said, well, what are you doing? Uh, what are you doing around here? You see, and the guy identified himself as a retired policeman. And, uh, really scruffy old dude, one of those guys who obviously still wished he had some sort of authority. And Brian was explaining that we were getting pickup shots for filming, and he's like, I've been, you know, and Brian's like, I've been working and doing films in some form or another for about 20 20 odd years. And uh, he goes, well, I've never heard of something like that, a pickup—or you know, like, just guy not understanding film lingo he goes i think you're casing the houses so that you can you know steal from them. he goes and then brian goes he goes sir i don't think there's anything you have that i'd want to steal and then he just drove off and <laughs> we we then basically hid in a walmart parking lot for an hour and then we shot stuff and sat and then we and then we did go and shoot the thing and then because the because of the lens that he was using, we ended up not using it anyway, but he basically was like, okay, you can do some of the camera operating stuff. And so I'm I'm credited as a camera operator, but I also did a, a bunch of other kind of crazy stuff, you know, um, just whenever there needed to be hands, you know. But I was one of the camera guys. I've always – I even if I didn't um, – wasn't the one who was using it, I was always the one who was assembling them. Um, and I and then I got really good at that, and um, I really liked that because eventually I got my own DS, because we shot a, a T 2 T2i, which is a, a, a Canon DSLR. I eventually got a 7D, and it's not that different to assemble, because you have to assemble disassemble because you have multiple lenses on these, and the thing inside it, if you don't want dust and stuff, so you have to do these thorough cleanings before you put it together, and then when you take it apart and put it in its, its place. And so I, that, that, that was one of my main jobs besides being a camera operator. Um, and on an uncredited thing, I think I got to squirt blood on one of the actresses. And then um, at one point he was like, Okay, you, you've obviously read the script. I was like, I had perused the script. I said, Yeah, you know, I, I know the general outline and stuff. Well, you know who Slick is. And I said, Yeah, I know Slick's the, the cocky computer uh, tech IT guy. He's the IT guy. What? Why? And he goes, well, you've acted in some of your stuff for school, right? And I said, Yeah. He's like, Well, I think you're good in those and I think you have the right look to play Slick. And I was like, Okay, um, sure. You know, I um I had done drama in, in high school and stuff and I had to learn lines and stuff. I always hated learn learning lines, but that was like my big fear about. It. But like my mom was like, Go do it. Like, just do it. And um, and even then, it wasn't a uh, uh, complete, you, you know, thing of this is gonna be happening. Uh, he just was gonna audition me, and he auditioned a couple other people besides me. And then he he got me on. He was like, "No, you're you're slick. You're slick," and we shot about most of my stuff because I'm in a control room uh we did most of my stuff in two days there was like a weekend where we couldn't get anybody and so it was just me talking to nobody (laughs) and then there there was a then there was a third day when I when some people actually had to be in my control room and I had to interact with them and maybe those were two other days maybe it wasn't just one but um yeah, that was that was interesting, and um, I it's it's been cited in a couple of the um, reviews, as you know, because most people really talk up the two actresses who um, played the the main the titular character of the PMS cop, play the actress who plays Mar- her as Mary, and then before she transforms into the PMS cop, who was who was uh, played by Cindy Means. And they both get you know, and if they mention anybody besides the two of them, for some reason they mentioned me because I was the comic relief. And I gotta get killed in it. And I and there's a very funny story about that, which is he had to kind of tweak it a bit because I was supposed to like go like like back and forth and he was supposed to get blood on me and I was supposed to go like No, I was supposed to go like no, you know, like Willem Defoe in um in the end of Platoon where he's like Yes. Yeah. And I was, I was, I was, yeah, I was supposed to do that, but I was like going like that. So he had to like slow it down and it wasn't until after we were done and I was just drenched with fake blood that he's like, okay, we'll fix it. We'll, we'll find, I'll just slow it down. So nobody knows you just look too goofy doing that. (laughs) So, yeah. And then, um, I also got one of my friends, um, who also was a big instigator in introducing me into sort of more, um, obscure horror films. Um, uh, my friend Joshua Scott and he got to play one of the lab techs who got killed. He actually got to play a, lecher, a very lecherous guy who, and he's the complete opposite of that. He's actually a really nice dude. And, uh, he's, he also had gained a lot of weight at that point And I, I was really pushing for him to be in the film because uh, when we made PMS Cop um, earlier that year, he had a had a health scare, and I was like, "Well, I, I at least want him to do something." So, so he's in there, and he's gotten way healthier since then. Well, at least last time I've seen him. There's a video on my YouTube channel of him. You know, when the film came out, because it took a couple of years, uh, when it got released by Full Moon and um who's the uh producers of the puppet master series um they eventually saw the film and um uh, br- uh, bought the distribution rights from brian and that's um although my, it's it's one of those things where it was an extremely uh, low budget film and yet a lot of people think it's a legit full moon production which i'm pretty proud of um, that that's a fact, when it was just a little, I'm not going to say the budget, but a very micro-budgeted horror film made here in Springfield, Missouri. You know, So there was that. So that was one of the horror films I've been involved in. PMS Cop. PMS Cop. <laughs> PMS Cop. Um, and that was, you know, uh, one of those, you know, you do... You know, you volunteer because you you believe in the project, uh, and because it's a micro budget. And the more credits you get, the more you can. And people will go, okay, so if they've worked on this, this, and this, you know, because um, I've I, I've had to explain this to people, and I've also had to do this in comics. I, I just there um there's a comic I wrote that hasn't come out yet. Um as a writer, you gotta take up free gigs if you're gonna be a comic book writer. Yeah, just is. that's just a, that that's just the way it is. Um, it's whereas other people are like, well, I'm just gonna wait for only the gigs that pay. It's like, well, dude, once that's not how it works, if you in in a lot of these creative industries, you know, you end up having to do a lot of stuff. And um, I'm working with Brian again. Uh, he, he's, he's doing another horror film called acid master. Um, right now we're sort of doing the grindhouse approach of doing the trailer before we actually do the movie. So we're doing that and we're filming that. We've been filming that in the last month or so. Um, and I'm really excited about that. And, uh, so I think it's, Kind of known that he's doing it because he put a he put a video out for auditions, so I, I I don't think that's like revealing any big thing. He's gonna be doing that. Um, so that's so that was PMS cop. There's another funny anecdote for that that had to do with the real cops, but I'm I'm saving that because that's one I, I usually use at conventions. I usually give this one, and it's funny because it's like. The first day I work on there, there's something crazy. Also, I forgot to mention that Brian said he could tell that the, the old man definitely had um, some kind of handgun uh, concealed. So yeah, um, yeah, I <laughs> know. And and it was that was why he he uh, he did that whole line about you know. Um, yeah, I don't think you have anything I want, and then and then just drive like crazy out of there. And yeah, it was one of the few. T- it was one of the few times we didn't. Um, since it was such a simple thing, but every single time we were getting to film something, even if it was in a location that we had the rights to do it and all that, Brian made sure to call the cops, and that was one of the few times. But I don't think that guy would have cared, you know. Um, so that was PMS cop, and all I'll say by Acid Master is, I I'd work I'll work with Brian anytime anywhere for free, because he's 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 just a really good guy to work with, and I think he's becoming a better and better filmmaker with each film. And um, I did it wasn't necessarily a horror film, but there was a revenge, a kind of a revenge, an artsy revenge. Short film he did um, called Transient Error, in which I played a hobo, and and that's actually my, that's actually I think my best acting ever. I actually think is in that. I um, it's a very, it's actually unlike PMS Cop, it's very serious. Um, it's, it's very sl- slowly paced. It was very inf- heavily influenced by um, the uh, Nicholas Winding Ramfren film uh only god forgives so it has that kind of pacing where there isn't that much dialogue and it's very serious and it is about 20 minutes and it's on YouTube. Um so that's PMS cop. Now the other horror film that I'm heavily involved with and I have sort of a financial stake in people going out and buying copies of House of Demons Originally titled *Trip House*, go out and buy *House of Demons*. Help me, you know, get some cash off of that, as because uh, I was I'm an executive producer on that. I became an executive producer as a result of uh, becoming friends with Patrick Meany, because I gave him money uh, to finish. Well, not even finish. I think. Uh, was this before he started, or if it was the actual budget or something? But I, I was a co producer on a documentary he did called uh, The Image Revolution, which was a really cool documentary he did about the history of image comics from how it went from, you know, all the guys from Marvel leaving and forming their own company straight up to, you know, Robert Kirkman coming up with The Walking Dead and how wow. that, yeah. It, it 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 covers that whole thing and it does it in a really brisk, I guess 90 minutes. and um, I get I was one of the first people to see it because I you know, I was like, I, I was like, here's, hey, here's some money, <laughs> you know That Take was how my I, money. <laughs> that was how I was at the time, was that any project that was a documentary that I was like, oh, I, I would have wanted to do that. i I'd get in touch with people. Um, I did the same thing with John, Sh- the late John Schnepp who made, uh, whatever happened. No, no. I always get the title mixed up. Uh, the death of Superman lives what happened. And I'm an associate producer on that because he needed some funds in post-production. Cause he, he when, uh, he pretty much spent all of his Kickstarter money for the actual production and he needed money to finish post-production. And so I gave him some money and got an associate producer's credit and, Got to keep in touch with him a little bit. I think I uh, annoyed him a lot because he he ended up ghosting me uh, because he was going to be, because I know he said that there were going to be three um, screenings for that documentary. And um, one of them was supposed to be in Chicago. And I was like, that's one I can make, man. When Chicago, like, I would do that. And then he just, like, stopped getting in touch with me. And he unfollowed me on Twitter, and I just was like, yeah, I really just pushed him too hard, you know. And and there never were other two, and I didn't even know until, like, it was like a month before he passed, because he passed this year, and he's a very young guy. Um, he got into a coma for some reason, and then he didn't never got out of it. Um, and even though I'd only had a couple, like, emails with him, and I helped – him on this film because I kind of was like, great, that was another like documentary idea that I wanted to do was I was like, want, you know, the the Tim Burton Superman film that never I made, well he's this guy's doing it. Well, okay. Um something was with the image revolution. And so I was like, yeah. And um as part of the deal I got a co producer credit. I got to speak with Patrick on the phone and be in contact with them. And I got to see the cut of the film that they felt was the final cut and wanted my opinion. Um, I had a lot of, you know, let them know because I was in the, I think I was in, I think either PMS Cop had finished or I was in the midst of it when I got to talk to him. To to Patrick and we had a long conversation about film. We had a long conversation about comics and film, and he just thought I was a you know neat guy. And I had given him a certain amount of money, um, so we just kind of like loosely keep in touch for a couple of years. And he's directed a bunch of documentaries and he decides he wants to do his first um, non-documentary feature. And that's going to be a horror film. And he just emails me and he basically goes, here's the deal. I'm, I need X amount of money by X amount of time. You'd be a pro- I, not only would you get a producer credit, but you'd be able to get, eventually get royalties. And, and I'm not going to be specific on those terms because – yeah, for obvious reasons – And if you want, you can actually uh, be on set and observe and that kind of stuff. And on top of this, he said, the log line he gave me was the tone of the movie is Donnie Darko meets The Shining. And it's called Trip House. Are you in? Are you out? So I'm freaking out, and I talk to my mom, and I say, well, this is how much it's going to be, and this is the most amount of mo- and what it is is the most amount of money I'd ever put into any film. you know." And at that – when I was doing that, I was still – I still had a janitorial job, and so my mom was kind of like, yeah, if you're just throwing away your money. At that point, my father had passed away. And I had inherited money from his trust, and that's mainly what I live off now. And it, I'm actually pushing harder and harder to actually work on on projects where I'm. You know, I still love to do free stuff. I don't hate doing it. Like I said, I'll work with Brian, you know, for free for the rest of my life. You know, even if he gets a real budget. Um, the thing is, though, I. I've got to match my money a little bit better now. But at that time, you know, I sold some stock because that's mainly what my my stuff's in, is in stock. And I gave it to Patrick. Um, and another big deal was these are SAG actors. Um, Amber Benson from Buffy the Vampire Slayer, who played uh, Willow's girlfriend, she's in the film. I didn't get meet her. Because I I wasn't there for any of the days that that she was there. But I was there for Chloe Dykstra, um, who is John Dykstra's daughter, which I didn't know until months later. Um, I didn't know she was in this really funny short called Wrestling Isn't Wrestling that Max Landis did. I I highly recommend it. It's really good. Um, I know she's gotten some shade from the internet because of the whole what she said about her relationship with Chris Hardwick and stuff like that. But she seemed like a really nice person to me. So I don't know. So I don't know on that, but she was really cool. Um, So anyway, I give the money works out because if he didn't get the money, I think I was one of the last investors. If he hadn't gotten it by a certain amount of time, uh, production wouldn't have started. So I get in touch with him, and, you know. I just, and this is around the same time I'm talking with John Schnapp. Um, that was the other reason why, because I could have, it would have been, okay. Do I do the L.A. premiere of uh, Superman, uh, the death of Superman lives in L.A. or do I wait it out and I get drive to Chicago, uh, Illinois from Springfield? And that was my thinking at the time. Not thinking, well. Schnepp might end up having to cancel the other two because he got again in over his head like i know he was still shipping kickstarter rewards about a month or two before he passed this year Wow. so the la premiere was the only one um and i i still feel like really like a heel just you know, bugging him about the Chicago premiere, especially now with him having been gone. But anyway, back on on uh, House of Demons, I just was like, okay, what's a good day? What's a good day? What's a good day? I got it because I want to get the plane tickets so far ahead of time that they're ch- they're really cheap. And so he goes, okay. So we got, I have three days set. And he goes, if everything goes right, they'll be filming for those three days. So. It comes, um, and I end up. Uh, oh, that's right. I did. A com- I did a convention the week before. <laughs> I did a convention. Oh yeah, that was. Oh, that was. I forgot that. That's right. I did um, River City Comics Expo, which is uh, in um, in Arkansas, and I had done that um, because I off the back of um, simply weird my book that is about um, a fake comic book company history of a fake comic book company um, because of that I've I've done a lot of comic book conventions um, so I went straight I had like I think three days where I just kind of you know was tired and just trying to rest up and then I did a red eye at midnight going from Springfield to I believe, Houston and trying getting very confusing directions from the stewardess on how to get from my plane to the plane to LA now There were uh, these two IRS agents who specifically deal in, uh, like, uh, livestock. It's like making sure that when people say on their taxes, like, what livestock, the amount they have and stuff that, you know, it's real and stuff. And I would actually started talking up because they had a DSLR. Hey, I've got a 7D. What what do you got? Like, I always do that because – I'm always fascinated by like what your camera, you know, it's like I, you know, I'm a filmmaker. So, that you know, and especially since DSLRs are being used so much more on micro budgeted films, you know, Um, so they were nice enough. They were like, oh, yeah, the ga- uh, well, of the two, there's a gal and a guy. And the gal was like, yeah, we we've, we've taken this route dozens of times Um. The gate you're looking for, that's on your ticket. You could do X, Y, and Z. And I basically got there. I think two minutes before they are boarding. So I got there, and then uh, um you I'm in I'm in this in the middle seat. And um to my left of me is a, a mother with her newborn. And to the right of me is. Um a teenager who I knew was not who's just totally zoning out by listening to your, your uh, stuff, you know on her uh, her iPhone, you know, hip hop stuff. and which was probably a really good idea because for about the first half an hour or an hour, that baby just was crying, 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 crying. And um, so, I go okay. <laughs> trying to try to listen to classical music because there still was like a phone jack and stuff in there. But I was like uh, trying to drown out. And then Sturius goes, you know, when they're serving out drinks, is like, would you like would you like anything any liquor? I was like, do you have any whiskey? They're like, yes. we'll, we'll look. And so I have, whis- I have whiskey with diet coke because I don't like regular coke. So that's why. <laughs> <laughs> Even though, because like keep in mind, this is early in the. By this point, it's early in the morning because it was what uh, it's like three, three or four a.m. Because I'd gotten in. When, this is a red eye, from Springfield to Houston, then Houston, L.A. <coughs> that was weird. Some spit just kind of went down. So I get off from the plane, and everybody in the production Is still sleeping. Uh, they' you know I call Patrick and I call Jordan Jordan's his producing partner who's been his producer on all of his documentaries and his producer on this and who also does the cinematography and he's he's a really nice guy and a really good cinematographer and he was like uh, he's like okay because because Patrick got me in touch with him he's like okay because he was in the the apartment he was renting had him and a bunch of the other crew members. <laughs> and he was like, okay, just like get a taxi to this location and I'll, I'll buzz you in. Because it's one of those where it's completely locked and needs to be buzzed in. So I'm like, okay, this is my first time in L.A., I'm like, Alre- already things are just crazy. I'm like, okay, I'll get to meet them. Uh, and we're shooting in Santa Clarita, which wasn't fam. You know, the TV show hadn't hadn't been done yet, so most people probably weren't familiar with the city. Um, you know, because yeah, the Netflix show hadn't been made yet. So this is, I think by the time our film came out, it had, but. I was always like, yeah, I was in really in Santa Clarita. It's this place that's right outside of LA and it's very small and it's yeah. <laughs> so I just so what we're doing is I'm taking a taxi to their apartment. I get breakfast and then we're like, okay, we're going to we're going to go film and I'm just completely drained. I'm just like, okay, cool, cool. And I say, "Hey, is it okay if um uh if I go to my motel because I have um, my motel's out near to where the location's at because I'd so that would be easier for them to drive me because I do not have a license. I do not have a license. never have. I failed the written for a permit three times. so I don't drive. I'm 32 and I and I do not drive. So um they drop me off at the motel and they say mm, well uh there's a problem and I said I've, I've got my information here this is you know and they're like okay um we'll we'll charge you it's like wait what we'll charge you when when you get out and stuff and I had the money. I was I was smart enough. I I'd, I'd put a certain amount of money just in case. And but it was um what was it, Priceline. What what's the one that sh, uh, Shatner? Uh, Priceline. Priceline. Uh, so it was Priceline. And because I had done it with Priceline, they were like, "Oh, it's a thing where because you did it so far back, that's why." So I said, "Oh." freaking crazy and I was like okay uh can I at least put you know okay and it's like one of those things where it's like well we'll call and try and set things up and it's like so we didn't have time to do that so I kept my luggage in the car the guy was getting us to the location then we go to the location location's great um and uh yeah, because I was like, yeah, I'm not going to keep the guys up. But they gave me the key, and then the key wouldn't work. And I had, I was so, because I'd been up for over 24 hours. I was so, I was like freaking crying because I was like, why is this not working? And it was like, no, it's the wrong room, dude. And uh, the joke on set was, I was shattered because it was Priceline. Um, But yeah, that was like the most – after that, I was pretty clear sailing with the one exception of when I got back to my room after shooting the first of the two days. And then there there was a third day that I had planned in just in case, and they're like, yeah, there's nothing planned there, which was kind of a good thing because I think I I was too exhausted from the previous two days. And I helped break down the set, um, and I, it, it was, I think, really magical and interesting that I was there for the last two filming days of the main location of the actual titular house of demons, which was then still called the Trip House because it was called Trip House. And then um, that got picked up by Smith Global Media I believe that's they're called. Let me double check, but I think it is Smith Global Media. Yes, who had who has some ty- type of distribution deal with Sony that I don't know. Like, cause there is no Sony packaging on it or anything. And um, but yeah, uh, that's more of the art on the weird artsy fartsy kind of, but also on the, that whole thing we were talking about earlier about, you know, not having to have stuff make sense because it deals with time travel, but there's, you know, not real science to it. And it's, it's a very interesting, interesting film. Um, and so those are like, you know, those are the, the two that I've worked on. And then of course also I directed that the short film masks. And uh, work. I'm helping Brian Blakey out with uh, Acid Master any way I can. So there's. So that's that's the that's the film stuff. All
0: right. Now, talk a little bit more just about your comic that you wrote, Simply Weird. You said it wasn't like necessarily horror, but you have mentioned it a few times, like throughout the podcast. So, tell us more about it.
1: Uh, Simply Weird is a. Um, it's it's like written like a nonfiction book. It's not actually a comic, although I have I have written uh, comics. As a result, I actually kind of got my foot in the door. Um, it's a self and it and self published, but it's like written like the his, like I came up with like this fake comic book company, and had it as if there was this other company alongside Marvel, DC, and then I've occasionally you know. EC Comics in the 50s and then there's always sometimes a third one so it's it's written in a humorous way um a big big influence besides you know my writing style particularly I I like Kurt when it comes to my humor uh in this thing is a lot a lot of it's very Kurt Vonnegut-ish um or at least I feel it is it might others might disagree there's also like Kurt Vonnegut. I I, I use my, my uh, crappy drawings as as for humorous purposes, just like he would do in stuff like Breakfast of Champions. Um, uh, but it like basically talks about like all these different comics. It was basically me kind of getting every single comic idea that I had at the time that I wanted to get out, and I wrote it as sort of a quarter-life crisis sort of thing because I was like I. I it was also part of the the um, push that led me to just seek out uh, a production that just eventually ended up being PMS cop. Um, So it, it is in that same kind of area and space. And I can't believe that, you know, the books like, I think, I think I wrote it seven years ago and then it published six years ago. So that's crazy. And then, um, yeah, I know it's crazy, and and I've used it I know, to be at conventions. Uh, like, I got to be on the very one of the lowest guys on the totem pole of guests at Vision Con, the year that Ernie Hudson was like the head uh, guest, and that was fun, cause that was like a you know ghost. Buster's is just so ingrained into me it's in my dna just is um but yeah i you know i've done all these other and then i've also done river City comics expo a couple of times and i did this one uh upstart thing called lebanon comic con or lebanon con or whatever it was called what that was types? me yeah well it was kind of cool because um some of the guys they they had was kind of cool cuz I got to, um, they had Rob Zombie's former bassist. Uh, I'm trying to remember the guy's name. He actually I actually bought from him a copy of uh, one of the early solo zombie albums that he recorded on and I had it signed out to Rob, not thinking like cuz I said yeah, I go, I go by one Robert Webb the 3rd, but you know, you can just sign it to Rob. Not and it wasn't until I actually got home I was like, to Rob from him, and then in big letters it said you know Rob Zombie, <laughs> you know and I'm trying to I'm trying to remember which one it was, was it Sinister Urge or Hill? I think maybe it was Hill Hell Um, what was it? Hell Billy something something. It was one of those, and I do like I I I like Rob Zombie's movies and I'm of his music. Um. I like some of his solo stuff but I really love White Zombie. I actually have the box set and that's right next to me. Um cool. yeah, which inc- which has like some of the early stuff that's like you can't get on CD unless you like their early stuff before they were at Geffen. Like all the music that they recorded when they got signed at Geffen is available on CD. But if you want some of the stuff that was from like the indie labels that they did in the mid to late uh, 80s, all that stuff is only in the box set. So and as you know, um, but I I like Rob Zombie's movies and I know why I'm bringing him up on that, because the movies are what led to the other the other guys in his first solo band to leave was because they were like, we want to make stuff. So, but also I got to meet the guy who played grandpa in Texas Chainsaw Massacre because he was at that. Yeah. yeah. I wish I, I wish I had really talked to him more because I just, you know, he was, uh, sitting next to one of my close, very close friends. Who's a comic book artist named David, um, fought not Faust. that really bugs him. And people accidentally do that, um, but David uh, is a really, really nice guy, and he does sort of like uh, two types. Of, you know, he he's he's done comics, but he also does pinup art, and he does uh, beautiful women and monsters. So does a lot of monster stuff too. And he got to sit. His booth was right next to um, the guy who was the grandpa, and of course he was like, and that guy was like twenty one when he played the grandpa. Because that was, that was a whole prosthetic thing. And I was like, you know, talk. I just thought, hey, that'd be kind of cool. To talk to him. And I gave him a copy of Simply Weird just, you know, just because I did. And I did the same thing for, uh, I think the guy's name's Rick. Oh, man. I'm trying to remember the name of the bassist for Rob Zombie. But especially since he was a cool guy and I got to take photos with him. But um, the, guy, the guy who played uh, Grandpa in the original Texas Chainsaw... I really like. It was like later. I was like, you know, there's all these like little facts I know that I would have loved to have talked to him about. Like, I know the legend goes he had to sleep in the makeup because they were afraid that if they took it off, they couldn't put it back on. So he, they, they, because they shot his scenes over a two day period. So he slept with that makeup on because the guy who did the prosthetics in the movie wasn't a special effects guy I think he was a dentist or something or he was he was some kind of doctor or something and he, and, and that was how he created the stuff his the stuff using some kind of plasters type stuff uh, I'd have I have to go back the commentary tracks and then the, and that also reminds me there again is another person we lost Toby Hooper last mm-hmm. year I mean that just yeah it's
0: just like we're losing all the the good horror people it's just like I know whenever uh George Romero passed so it's just like I, I mean don't... and
1: that and that was like I I'm trying to remember if, if it was right before it was like right before or right after I know it was like right within the same time frame as Toby yeah. which was which was like, which also reminds me of like when I found out how Wes Craven had passed, I was um, i uh, I was at I think it was the second time I was at River City Comics Expo, and I was sharing a room with my mom and a friend of mine who's another artist friend who I was sharing a booth with. And we were all rooming in the same thing. And I was sleeping on the floor while they had beds. And so I wake up, and it's like, oh, yeah, Wes Craven died. And I was like, that's the first thing I hear. And I was like, uh, yeah. dude, that's not a cool joke. That's not that's not a good joke. And it's like, no, dude, he died. While, while you were asleep, he died. And I was like, it was just a really weird way for it to happen, you know, is that, you know, it wasn't – wasn't like, you know, didn't even have time to like, you know, how it is on uh, like trending topics on search engines and stuff. It was just, just no, he's dead. Jeez.
0: Yeah, good morning. Oh, by the way, he passed okay. away. Like, thanks. That's a great way yeah. to wake up.
1: <laughs> I know, right? That, that was just, that was crazy.
0: Jeez, Louise.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, let's um kind of want to start winding down here and then talk about um okay. horror games now i like of course i create content on twitch so i love playing any kind of scary um horror weird games so what are some of your favorites
1: this corpse party ah,
0: corpse party i have
1: this yeah i have the do they call it special oh back to school edition that's what they call it they call it the back to school edition uh, and I, even though I have the or- original course party downloaded onto my, um, you know, I was like, I gotta get it again, cause I didn't have a physical copy and I, I need to finish three. I just started playing through, and there's extra content. You know, it's like each time they add different subplots that you can unlock. It's kind of a art it's an rpg-ish light novel um and it's very gory but at the same time when you're walking around in the ui it looks like um you know how like like 16-bit rpgs you know are top top would be top down and stuff it's kind of like that it has that look and then when something important happens it then has cinematic mode then everybody looks like they're from um it's interesting because the designs for the characters look like they would fit more in um some teen uh high school co- comedy anime and then you get to see some of them just eviscerated and just like torn apart and stuff and it's and it's 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 a really interesting series that has with each, uh, each new one has an interesting additional mythology, and I've, um, only the first one's available on PC, and, uh, basically, if you, to, to get the, the full, full series that they've at least released here in the States, you've got to have, a uh, PlayStation Vita. <laughs> That's
0: very <laughs> because... obscure. <laughs>
1: Well, like, I got a Vita because I'm into light novels, and so that was basically all I had was that, and then the specific Katamari Damacy uh, that came out for that, and so I have a couple of things like that. Um, Maybe one day they will start, they will reveal, because the the first two games were uh, released on PC, and then they did an upgraded version of it for the PSP, And then that was successful enough that uh, there was a sequel on the PSP, and those didn't—I don't think those got translated until they started have having uh, PSP downloadable games on the Vita, and then that and then those would come as a two-pack. So I got to play the first two games together as a two-pack on my Vita, which I don't really play that much anymore like I just got it cuz I was like well like, oh, there's a couple of light novels on here and that was mainly why I got and I was like this looks interesting it's a horror game and it's a light novel and it's um and I I don't want to like blame, uh spoil too much about the first game cuz it has some really interesting twists in the story too besides being you know having some pretty gory stuff in it it has a really interesting atmosphere Cause you're basically going through this, um, you know, sc- it's it's an elementary, it's a Japanese elementary school that's like in a hellish dimension, uh, and it's and all sorts of crazy stuff happens, and it's really cool. And how it's how how it works is like it's divided into chapters, and there's like to get to the next chapter, you have to do things correct, but you can get bad endings. You know, so like each chapter has like you know you got this bad ending which killed your character and all that and it's and it's like and not all the characters survive. So even with the g- good ending, some of the characters die. So and in horrible ways. And it's I'm not gonna say which ones survive and which ones don't and where some of the twists and turns. But I I especially the first one's really good. The second and third maybe the reason why I'd sort of gotten away from the third, was they started to put a lot lot of backstory that kind of bogged things down that was still interesting, but it was like, man, there's, you know, the first one's a lot more simpler in its twist and turns. Um, and I just love the series. And what I was going to show with this, because I think you can get, you can just get the 3DS version, but I got the one... and these are two of the characters and you have to di- you have to assemble them <laughs> and but it looks but if but you they have two different faces that you can choose from so i was like and hands <sighs> so you have these two dis- below the two characters are disembodied faces and disembodied hands and then the stands that they're supposed to be on. So I have not even opened the plastic on this thing because I was like, I don't know how. I'm...
0: What am I gonna do with this? <laughs>
1: yeah, you know, I was like, might as well just keep it that way. And when they had the uh, course party three and actually had a physical release, I I have that somewhere else in this in the house. And that came and I got the special edition for that. And that came with um, uh, a CD. And this one also comes with. Because they did, they redid the the music, because it's you know the 3DS. Um, I think has a better chip system than um, the original PSP. Uh, so this is another. But I have the special edition of Course Party 3, which has all the music from the P, the two PSP games and then the one Vita game. And so I'm a huge fan of that series. Um, also. Just like randomly, I'm also really like Castlevania. You know, Castlevania's great. Oh, yeah. I never, never got to
0: play yeah. much of those.
1: Yeah. I, yeah, Symphony of the Night, I really, really loved playing um, back in the PS2 days, which is ironic because it's a PS1 game, but I really loved playing as Alucard. Um, so we're talking about games like that's you know and then there's a couple of other like if i just would have to look through like my steam account where there are other visual novels like that's i i'm typically at right now is visual novels when it when it comes to horror like which is not so much i'm trying to think if i've played anything horror based on my xbox one it's like no not recently
0: Nothing recently has come out
1: that's caught much of your interest. Nah. Well, it's like stuff that I have been playing. Have non-horror was um. There was a really good uh, sale for uh, the remastered edition of LA Noir, and I had never played that, and it, I got for like twenty a download of it for twenty bucks. I was like, that's pretty good, you know, Xbox One version of the remastered edition and it's pretty it's pretty good game I'm I'm actually impressed with like the um as a as a filmmaker the motion capture stuff like how like you can tell if if you're familiar with like the character actors that they hired to play certain characters you're like you can tell from the way they look it's kind of I'm kind of like whoa that's crazy I'm you know I was like yeah, I don't know the actress's name, but I know that's that, you know.
0: Yeah, so. yeah that's her. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah.
0: It's that person that played that part in that thing.
1: Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
0: yeah, I remember playing L.A. Noir and I think my main mistake was just playing it straight through. I probably should have just, like, you know, spaced out my playthroughs and my days in between that, because I kind of thought it was just, it was okay.
1: I I well I think I don't know I just have I just got really into it but then again I don't know I really like that sort of world the only thing i was kind of disappointing is i that it wasn't as like that was much more linear a game than say something like GTA since i i i would have liked it more if instead of like okay here boom here here's a case here's a case that you know right it was more open sandbox that's that's my only problem um because i was expecting that seeing as even though i don't think it was the exact same developers was a different part of because it was a different part of, rock, par of rockstar than the ones who make the gta games but i had assumed you know that but then again i don't know the production history of of L.A. Noir, I think it might have even been picked up by Rockstar and that the original company were only, like, midway through it or something. I don't know. I heard something like that. I... But, yeah, I've been playing that. And then I also finished a JRPG, which that's another thing I'm really into is JRPGs. And I finished um, Shining Resonance, which is in the Shining series, which is, you know, all back in the genesis days is like you know shining in the dark shining force shining force 2 you know and that's what got me to rpgs and shining uh shining resonance um it's pretty good
0: yeah i've heard of that i've heard of that
1: <laughs> okay yeah, sorry it's just a, it's just that like yeah we're getting off horror again and this is like yeah, that's yeah. the only reason why i like you know um but yeah that's you know, I, I really like JRPGs and stuff that's, like, really odd, too, I, you know.
0: Yeah, no, i say I don't mind just um, on yeah. this is getting away from horror because the conversation yeah. goes where it goes. It's just, like, my idea, like I always tell yeah. my guests, like, whenever they're on here, it's just, like, this is just, like, conversation. Almost just, like, we're sitting down across from each other talking right. about stuff. Yeah. So yeah. it just goes where it goes at times. It and, does, yeah. yeah. And that's fine. It's just, like, I have, like, the linear stuff that I want to ask, but then if it gets, like, ventures yeah. off weird tangents, I'm fine with that. Yeah, yeah. Right, so now let's see, oh, if anybody has any questions for you, but while we're waiting on those questions, um, plug yourself. Where can people buy uh, your, the, your films that you were involved in, um, Simply Weird? Where can they find you on social media? So sell yourself.
1: Okay, so um, I have a website. It's uh, www.williamrobertwebii.com. So William Robert Webb III should be pretty easy that has links to every single social media thing I got. Um, you can also email me through there. There's a special contact page. It's got uh, a very personal comic uh, that I wrote that's in there. There's also a page dedicated to Simply Weird and where you can buy, you know, buy either a physical copy or digital copy is Simply Weird. And it also describes, has a couple of blurbs Uh, Like, for instance, if you want to know what Patrick Meany, director of House of Demons and The Image Revolution, what he had to say about Simply Weird, well, that's on the page for Simply Weird. (laughs) Uh, And then uh, there's a bunch of pictures of me looking just kind of trying to be demonic or, or heavy metal or something. In, on the first page and that has a, a fuller biography on me and uh also includes my some of my influences it ends on that and um but if if you want to check me out on twitter it's uh at ketsuo underscore man i believe i'm
0: yep and i've got your twitter name yeah. right down below the camera yeah
1: so. yeah and then let me let me see about the um see yeah, I'm trying to find my – because I, I, on uh, YouTube I go as Tetsuo uh, the Great, no spaces. So, yeah, let me see about – yeah, it just says, yeah. So just go YouTube.com slash user slash T-E-T-S-U-O-T-H-E – G R E A T. So,
0: all right. So, and where can people buy House of Demons and PMS Cop?
1: They are uh, available on DVD at uh, on Amazon. Okay. You can get them on you can get them on Amazon. Um, you at least for House of Demons, you can even digitally rent uh, House of Demons. Or digitally buy it. So.
0: All right. So that's where, whereabouts on the World Wide Web that people can find your stuff, buy your stuff, and chat with you about yeah. all sorts of other stuff that they want to. Yep. All right. So I didn't see any questions in here. So I guess we will go ahead yeah. and end it here. So, Rob, once again, thank you for taking time out of your afternoon to come and chat with me about horror and all sorts of other like weird tangents that the conversation went off in. I I, I greatly appreciate it. And I appreciate you.
1: Thanks for having me on.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I know that we will definitely be talking again.
1: Yep. Yep. Hey. Bye. Bye.
0: Thank you all so much for listening to this episode of the Terrific Talk podcast. Any feedback that you have for me, please reach out to me on Twitter at Brandykins1982 or at Terrific Talk. This will be a weekly podcast, so I will see you all next week. Ta-ta!